Welcome to Nature Pact Podcast of Singular. In this podcast series, we are talking with investors about their vision of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Virki, and in this episode, I'm talking with Alexis Caporale from World Fund. But first, a message from our sponsor. Hey there, I'm Merit. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Single Earth, and we are building a nature-backed currency to empower you to fight against climate change and biodiversity loss. Sign up at Single.Earth and be among the first to switch to a truly sustainable, nature-based economy. And don't forget to join the discussion around climate change and biodiversity loss on our Discord channel. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Alex, for joining us at uh, Nature Backed. No, thank you. Thank you, Tama, for the invitation. Uh, tell us a few words about the World Fund. Uh, what do you guys do? I mean, it could be easily by name be confused to, I don't know, Worldwide Fund or the, any of the other kind of funding agencies. But it's a, in a way, it's a VC, right? It is absolutely a VC um, in, in every sense of the word. We are uh, 350 million euros climate-focused VC. So we invest in solutions that um, can have a relevant, meaningful impact on climate change mitigation. Uh, how, did, uh, how did the World Fund uh, was founded? What was the beginning? Yes, of course, the World Fund has a, a very nice founding story because in a way it has a lot to do with Ecosia. Ecosia is an independent search engine based in Berlin that has already 12 years old. Um, and it was born with a very beautiful idea, which is basically uh, do a search engine that with its profit, um, its profit just plants trees. That was uh, the founding idea. And 12 years later, because it has planted, I think it's already 150 million trees in the most relevant areas of the world in terms of, of climate change mitigation, but also in, in terms of community impact. So Ecosia was um, in a way where, where everything started, where everything went together for the World Fund. Because um, Tim, um, Tim Schumacher is one of the general partners. He, he's the co-founder of Ecosia um, and was also a friend of Daniel Visevich uh, from childhood. And Daniel was also helping out in Ecosia. Um, and Tim Daria from basically because they, they shared a, a board um, of, of one of the companies and, and Ecosia started having inbound deals, which was uh, unfrequent, I would say, uh, for, for Ecosia. And so they, they basically they realized that uh, what they had there was an opportunity because there was a gap for companies that were doing something relevant for climate change mitigation, but also we're building great businesses and didn't know where really to go for funding. Mm. Um, that's what they realized. And that's how the, yes, that's how the idea started growing. And three years later, maybe I can say, we are all here investing and, yeah, and, and doing well. How many investments today in the portfolio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have announced uh, seven investments so far. Hopefully, a couple more uh, to be announced soon. And yeah, we we are we're active. Mm-hmm. We we're seeing lots of exceptionally good deal flow. I would say um, maybe the complex thing right now is the 
macro market condition and like yeah I, I guess nobody knows exactly um how this is going to play out but the quality of what uh the founders are building is it's it's impressive like i can just say that it's impressive mm. Uh, it's probably one of the interesting topics also to the listeners, how the macroeconomy, how, I don't know, the May crypto crash, which has spilled over the, to everything, really, how it is uh, kind of playing out for the for the VCs, kind of, I don't know, investment decisions and, uh, and uh, all the logic on that side. How do you guys see the situation at the moment? Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, our focus, um, our... Like, are filtering uh, when we when we go for investments. It's pretty long term because we we aim to invest in solutions that have the potential to mitigate at least 100 megatons of CO2 per year, which is pretty substantial. Right? Mm. <laughs> so so be, we basically believe that um, over the next couple of decades, those companies that have a larger contribution to to a regenerative world. Will be also the ones who had who are going to have a better financial performance. Mm. Um, so from that perspective, every company we are investing into has a necessarily a long-term vision. So it, we're lucky, and uh, at the moment is our portfolio is not really affected um, mm. by the crypto crash, and, and so of course. Uh, Interest rates are like there. There, there, there's macro mm. um, um, characteristics that affect everyone, everyone in every industry. Mm. But really, uh, yeah, we we are safely in the long term. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I think many cli- kind of uh, climate change mitigation uh, company strategies are so long term that uh, you know during their before they become something really big, you kind of expect that to be a few cycles on a way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's also very interesting. We we have a, a very broad sector focus, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this um, climate change mitigation potential threshold, but beyond that, we are sector agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very interesting to see how each and every sector is evolving it's, it's completely different if you look into energy or food or manufacturing like each uh, subsector is going through its own cycle and i think one of the most important things that we've been doing um i have been personally mapping that for the last several years mm-hmm. <laughs> before climate tech was a thing and and it's it's to me it's fascinating to see how different it is if you're building alternative proteins and if you're de- building recycling that if you're building i mean um and i think one of our our toughest but most important jobs is to deeply understand that right mm, absolutely the uh you said that basically beyond the uh, the kind of the underlying demand of the climate change mitigation your, the your sector agnostic. I mean, how is it today? Out of those seven companies, how do they kind of go across the sectors? <laughs> yes. Um, well, of course, that uh, in VC, uh, despite being thesis driven, you always invest in those companies that are there in the market fundraising, where you can deploy the capital, right? Of course. <laughs> um, so, so. Um, 
we are seeing a lot happening in the food, agriculture, and land use in Europe. And that's why you have two companies uh, already in the portfolio there. One is Juicy Marbles, the other one is Coa. Um, we also see a lot of happening in space, as you can imagine. Mm. So um, that's that's why I invested in, in space for just space manufacturing. Um, so then there's a lot happening in finance. That's that's why we invested in Tricar, which was actually a company where Ecosia invested at mm. the beginning. Mm. Um, so it's it's pretty diverse, I can mm. say. And the companies that we're looking into now are even from different industries. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's yeah. amazing. It's yeah. amazing. That must make your work uh, fun also, as I can see. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it, you, you kind of said in the introduction that World Fund is a classical VC. It doesn't mean that you have a kind of classical 10-year life cycle for the fund or not? Yes, we have the classical 10 plus 1 plus 1. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also the standard return expectation. Mm. Yes. So if you, but if you kind of go into the, or if the world around you goes into the recession on the year, I don't know, two for the fund, or where are you at the moment? It must be a bit, uh, I don't know, tricky? Well, that really depends on the type of companies where you've invested, right? Mm. Because let, let's take uh, Spaceforge. Uh, Spaceforge is doing space manufacturing, and they are focusing on a very, very high complexity industry, in particular on a very high complexity process. So... Honestly, recession just doesn't apply to them because if they are able to succeed in what they're doing from a technical perspective, they have decades of growth ahead of them um, until they, they hit a limit because of recession. Mm. So, but, but, but of course, if you're doing more um, consumer-focused, consumer-driven, then you might take a hit if you're doing... Um, yeah, so so I, I would say it, it, it of course, uh, depends. There are also some industries that are very hardly hit by supply chains constraints. Mm, exactly. Um, and and some of our some of the companies we are talking to are doing exceptionally well. And then what you see is that they are not able to grow as much as they want to, but they are still able to grow. Exactly. Right? So if it's, you know. Hundred yeah. percent instead of the two hundred percent, and that's right. in a that's bigger right. picture, it might not be such a such a big deal, even though it has a direct impact on the company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Exa- that is exactly what you said. Mm. Um, how do you? I mean, I think the kind of uh, how to say the um, maybe a more generic, not so directly linked to this uh, current uh, macroeconomic situation around us, but putting uh, climate tech and uh, and the ten-year life, life cycle of a fund together, mm-hmm. where the, you know the climate tech, uh, some of them probably will will proliferate or succeed in ten plus years. What's the what's the logic? Or how can you kind of make it happen? Of course, yes, um, and that really depends on each subsector. I can I can say uh, for each subsector, we can invest in a different. Um, TRL, right? Mm-hmm. So different level of readiness to go to the market. There are industries where in, let's say, seven years, you're able to go from an idea to a 
big success. And there are other industries where you have to start from <laughs> um, from later in mm. the in the life of the company. So that, that's why we're very careful to when we say we invest from late seed to Series B. Mm. But late seed on energy is completely different from late seed on chemicals. Mm. Um, so that that's one of also one of our our toughest and most important jobs to understand in which moment for each industry and each market we can enter as a fund. Mm. Yes, yes. Um, as you mentioned, energy, have you mm-hmm. seen the uh, the kind of current European-Russian uh, uh, energy situation impacting the energy energy startup field? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing positive to, to be said about Russian mm. invasion, right? So... Um, what, what we see is that those companies that are focusing on the energy transition, uh, so basically electrification and beyond, are getting uh, lots of inbound from <laughs> from the market because mm. everyone is trying to understand how to uh, stop depending on, on Russian commodities. Mm. So for those companies focusing on electrification, there are... Um, more opportunities but you have you also have to be very careful because some of these opportunities can be just short-lived mm. um yeah yeah um one of our of our partners uh, craig douglas he's been investing for 10 years in the energy transition <laughs> um and he has seen all the cycles and and, and he i think he has a very uh always a very cautious way of understanding this market and yeah, the company has to follow the, the best possible trajectory and has to take advantage of any change in the market, mm-hmm. but still the energy industry, it's a slow-moving one from a regulation perspective. And it's absolutely key to have that in mind uh, mm-hmm. for every startup. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, it's probably one of the slowest moving ones because also because of the scale, because the mm-hmm. projects are just so big. Yes, and because um, despite Europe being a, a, a one market for many things, uh, <laughs> energy-wise, is still country by country. Very much so. Uh, and uh, But it's interesting to see companies. I mean, I, in Estonia, for example, we have one company which defines itself as a startup, and it uh, builds a, or kind of working on a development of a nuclear project. So uh, it could be a you know a startup built nuclear power plant in Estonia at some point. <laughs> yes, uh, no, no, no. I think that um, <laughs> it's it's incredible to see the ambition of some companies uh, on a, on a good way, right? Uh, on nuclear, on, in, on on fusion or or fission. Um, it's yeah. I mean, you, we, we might have. N- Nuclear power plants on ships being delivered across the world by startups in 10 mm. years. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the other kind of related part is hydrogen, clearly. Mm-hmm. There's so much hydrogen, uh, I don't know, hydrogen hype going on also at the same time. Uh, yeah, we're seeing a lot of that. The uh, What else wanted to talk to you? I mean, the, um, I mean, we kind of touched up on the mi- macro economy and how how this is uh, having impact on the decisions and uh, going forward. And that's probably the kind of the big theme of uh, this year going forward, right? 
Yes, uh, absolutely. Everyone is going to be tweeting about <laughs> the impacts of macroeconomy yeah. on VCs and how valuations were crazy and how we're never going to do that again. Uh, <laughs> I mean, until the next cycle, right? I, I, uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, I think that if you invest in companies that have uh, fundamental potential advantages, um, then that's the best you can do. I mean. You always invest in technology and not market dynamics. Mm. You have to take market uh, dynamics into account, but there has to be a technological advantage that a company is building. Um, so that's the safest bet you can mm. you can do. But then, yeah, the rest is up to the everything else. The uh, was something so uh, the uh, being based in Barcelona, how? Uh, How much do you see the kind of local startup uh, sector booming? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, that's a very good question. Actually, we are a distributed fund, which is very special. We are at the moment in Berlin, Munich, Amsterdam, Cologne, Barcelona, and Madrid, and also uh, someone in the UK. Uh, and it's it's super interesting how we, of course, we all compete to <laughs> to push for our local. A local deal flow, um, but in uh, for Barcelona, climate tech is really, really, really moving a lot. Um, Spain some has some characteristics in some industries like food, for example, or agriculture. As you can imagine, um, that are already very dynamic, and uh, the climate perspective is adding, I think, a very good ingredient. So there are lots of things going on in Barcelona. You will see. Barcelona becoming a hub for climate tech sooner rather than later. It's um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about it personally. Yeah. Of course, uh, and it's so cool to see that kind of, in a way, new regions coming to the European startup map. It's not the uh, London, uh, Berlin, and Stockholm or what 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 have you. The uh, you know new new towns are popping up and new ecosystems are born and a kind of capital is coming to the new towns, which means that there is more companies being born again and and that's uh, such a cool such a cool development. Uh, yeah. Yes. No. And, and it's also because uh, from a climate tech perspective, there's no one solution. So every every hub can. Um, bring to the table their special skills based mm. on the local ecosystem, universities, the industry, the customer whatsoever. So mm. uh, it, it's also for us very important to understand where to go for what solution. Mm. Yeah, we're seeing in the north a lot of battery technologies and that kind of stuff Indeed. being developed. I assume in uh, in Barcelona it must be something to do with the heat mitigation, right? There's a lot of uh, agri-food tech. There's mm. a lot of well, actually, one of the most relevant players on heat mitigation for that data centers is in Barcelona, Summer. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, Barcelona has always been a very uh, relevant place for travel tech, as <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Just to wrap it up, you know what makes mm-hmm. World Fund special? Why should uh, you know all climate tech uh, startups from the world contact you guys? Mm-hmm. I think that um, being a fund that can deploy capital across several stages is important 
for climate tech, we have detected uh, that the biggest gap is there. So many times companies that are deep tech, which is one of uh, that we are a deep tech fund, which is already uh, mm. <laughs> not so common. Mm. Um, and and for deep tech, deep tech companies, sometimes they struggle to raise the following round, mm. and we want to be there for them. That's why sixty percent of the fund is reserved for follow-ons. So when we talk to a company on the seed stage, is because we want to be with them on the following steps as well. Um, and that for climate tech, we believe is super relevant, super, super relevant. Uh, we are also very thesis driven. So we try to have a deep understanding of each sector, subsector and help the founders. And we are trying to be uh, thought leaders in the actual quantification of the potential climate change mitigation of a startup. There are, there are other funds in the world which we are collaborating with, um, but we, we want to be part of that. We want, we want to be a traditional VC that also shows the numbers <laughs> uh, and, the impact, and that takes pride and also uh, responsibility of, of, of what we do. Do you, do you see there is a challenge between the kind of uh, the balance of that, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, the changing the world mission of the climate tech and at the same time, you know, uh, delivering at least the traditional VC industry returns to the investors? Absolutely not. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's, 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 it was the, of course, the founding thesis of the fund that we see an opportunity that the companies that will deliver the highest um, climate impact will also be the ones delivering the highest financial impact. That was the founding thesis of the fund. And, but now we're seeing it and, <laughs> and it's just incredible. Um, they just do better. They're more resilient. Their customers are more engaged. Their teams are more engaged. I mean, talent is probably one of the most complicated things um, that a company faces when they need to scale. And purpose, mission-driven founders are able to attract better talent and to, for that talent, they, they remain in the company. So, um, no, I mean, we're, we're not seeing this as a, as a problem, but rather as an advantage. <laughs> yes. Good. I think that's a good point to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, Alex, for joining us today. No, thank you so much, Samuel. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Back Podcast. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. 
Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.